All right, good morning, everybody. How are y'all? Everybody good? All right, we ready? Let those lyrics sink in a little bit as I get set up, okay? Number one, we serve an awesome God that nothing can stand against him. Amen? And he has raised us from the ashes. Anybody else feel that? He has raised me from the ashes. Now that's something to celebrate, right? So we're going to get into that. We're finishing up Romans today. You know, since Blake brought up Mumford and Sons and one of his favorite song lyrics, Randy and I were riding, <clears throat> excuse me, into church this morning. Randy Bates, my man over here. Where are you, Randy? There he is. Listening to Outcast. <laughs> Randy likes Outcast, apparently. I didn't realize this, but one of my favorite lyrics is from an Outcast song. And they say, so fresh and so clean, clean. So Randy wore a nice, clean, white shirt this morning, and I got him singing, so fresh and so clean, clean. One of the things we're going to talk, and believe it or not, so fresh and so clean, clean is in my notes up here, which tells you something about my brain and how it works. But we're going to talk about how Jesus justifies us and makes us so fresh and so clean, clean. Right, Randy? All right. So we're finishing up Romans. Last time I spoke, it was, it was a grind, right? You guys remember that? We were grown until we're home, right? We're still in Romans chapter 8. Well, today, today, sometimes you just get to preach the fun stuff, all right? Today we are talking about our God. Nothing can stand against him and nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. Also something to celebrate. I talked to one of my pastor buddies about this. Oh, I need to start my clock, don't I? I talked to one of my pastor buddies about this this week, and I said, hey, he's been to seminary, you know, he's, he's one of those guys, one of the many that's a lot smarter than I am about this stuff. And I said, hey, what do you got for me on the end of Romans chapter 8? And this is literally what he said. He said, just read it out loud, then pause, then read it out loud again, and keep reading it over and over until people are ripping the walls down. That's what he said. And literally, as we go through this passage, if, you know, if you're here and you don't know Christ, first of all, then you're going to want to run to him after you read this passage and the freedom and the security that comes from his love. But if we, for those of us who follow Jesus, I, I, my prayer is that we walk out of here with joy and with a security in him that we haven't known before. Amen? All right. So Blake last week talked about how nothing in our past can mess up God's plan for the future, which is an awesome concept. So this week we're talking about Romans 8, 31 to 39. It brings home that idea. Nothing can separate us from God's security in him and his love and his plan for us. All right, so we got, let's just talk a little bit, okay? When I say, I'm going to say these words, security and inseparable, okay? Those are good words. They make you feel safe, right? So, Somebody just shout something out. When I say security, what do you think of? Anybody? A Brinks truck. Very secure. Yes. Security. Anybody else? Home. How about a blanket? Just a nice little blanket. Right? How about, okay, so I asked my kids this question. We're just sitting around the table. I said, what do you think of when I say security? And, of course, Ruby goes right to the heart and says, Dad. Love it, right? Don't get me choked up, okay? I said my grandfather's lap. 
I just I have this very clear image of my papa when I was a kid just getting being in his lap, you know? So isn't that just a good word? Security. Just makes you feel good. I said Fort Knox, which reminds me of Brinks truck, right? Very secure. What about inseparable? Inseparable, anybody? What do you think of? Your wife. Good. How about Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen? I wrote that down. They were inseparable. Six titles. They went together, right? Gorilla glue. I wrote that down too. I mean, you put it on a boat and it can float without leaking. That's ridiculous. I, I don't know if I believe it. That's what they say. So inseparable. Aren't these good words? Now, the beauty of Scripture is whatever concept we have of these words in our minds, it's just watered down compared to God's concept of it, right? What I put is our flawed human perception is always a weak divine reflection. Our flawed human perception is always a weak divine reflection. Now, we're going to talk about this later, too, because this scripture refers to well, if we know how to, and there's a passage in Matthew, if we know how to take care of our kids, then how much more does God know how to take care of us, right? So if we think of security and something being inseparable, how much more does it mean coming from him? So we're going to get into these words today. Nothing can separate us from God's love, and it also begs the question, because we've got to think practically, what are we thinking or what lie are we believing that we think separates us from God's love. That can, be a, that can cripple us, right? If we allow something to get in and think, oh, what I've done or this or what I've been accused of is separating me from God's love, first of all, that's a lie. It can't. Second of all, how is it crippling our walk? So we're gonna get into all that. Sound good? All right, let's pray and get started. God, thank you so much for your word, for your truth. Thank you, Lord that we can celebrate that you are an awesome God, that nothing can stand against you and that nothing can separate us from your love. May that truth sink in today as we explore your word and explore scripture. So let us hear from you, God, challenge and change our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's put the verse up. Nothing can separate us from God's love, Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory. Some translations say more than conquerors. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, 
that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you ready to rip down the walls yet? We're going to get there. We're going to talk about some commentaries by Warren Worsby, John Whitner, F.F. Bruce. There's some great, great commentaries out there about Romans chapter 8. Let's get right to it. So Paul presents multiple arguments in these verses to prove or convince us that nothing can separate us from God's love. Number one, God is for us. Verse 31, God is for us. Okay, so what's the implied premise of that? Something's against us, right? God is for us. Well, who's against us? The enemy. Satan is against us. This is a spiritual battle that we're in. Satan and his demonic hosts are against us. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Anybody else feel that struggle? There's a lot at stake. It's a spiritual battle. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now sometimes, if things are really rough, we even feel like the good Lord's out to get us, don't we? I mean, let's be real. Sometimes it's so bad, we just kind of look up and be like, what's going on? I mean, we can be honest about that, right? Ever feel that way? Jacob felt that way. Genesis 42, 36, Jacob, for those of you who don't know the background story, Jacob, had a pre- Jacob, also known as Israel, so he was a pretty important figure in the Old Testament story and God's story, but he had it pretty rough for a while. Genesis 42, 36 said, Jacob exclaimed, you are robbing me of my children. He's talking to the Lord here. You're robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone, Simeon is gone, and now you want to take Benjamin too? Everything is going against me. Ever feel that way? Might be feeling that way right now. Can't get over, everything's going against me. Don't believe that lie. That's a lie of the enemy. God is never against us. He is always and could not be more for us. We've got to strive to walk in this truth and into each new day realizing that God is for us. There's no need to fear. He wants only the best for us, even if we have to go through trials to get there. And we're going to dig into that. As we talked about a couple weeks ago in this same chapter, we live in a fallen and cursed world. So we have to trust his plans for us and our ultimate good. You know, it's been a pretty rough week in this area. Anybody read the story about what happened in Anderson County this week? Well, for those of you who don't know, there were some tough times in Anderson County this week. A young lady, 18 years old, who was attending a football game, was leaving the football game and got hit by a drunk driver and killed. 18 years old, about to graduate high school. I happened to be friends with the best friend of the girl's mother. And so we heard about what happened. I reached out to her, just said, hey, we're... I mean, what do you say? I don't have any words for that. I've got an almost 16-year-old daughter myself, okay? I say, hey, we're praying. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm so sorry. But does it get any tougher than that? That's tough. That's tough. But she's a believer, and, her, and the, the girl's family are believers. 
So she responds to my email and says, first of all, well, they're sharing her organs, so she's going to share her life with people. That's going to be her last selfless act. What? I don't know what to do with that. And she said, and she was a believer, so I've been praying for her complete healing, and now I know she's completely healed. I mean, our faith gets put to the test, doesn't it? The faith has to step in here. There are tough times. We've either had them, we're in them, or they're coming. That is what puts our faith to the test. Do we trust that we serve a God who is for us? Number two, Christ died for us. This is number two in Paul's argument, convincing us that nothing can separate us from his love. Paul argues here in verse 32, from the lesser to the greater. Again, what I referred to earlier. If when we were sinners, God gave us his best, God gave us Jesus, then how much more as his children will he not give us all that he knows we need? Now let's skip down. Is that all that we think we want? No. He doesn't give us all that we think we want. He gives us all that he knows we need. First, Second Peter 1.3 says it like this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That's an important prepositional phrase there. For living a godly life. He doesn't give us everything we want so we can be comfortable he doesn't give us everything we think we need. He equips us, in other words, gives us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So Christ died for us. Verse 32, the second of Paul's points convincing us of God's love. Number three, God has justified us. Verses 33 and 34. Of Romans 8 this one has a little bit more meat to it so we're gonna dig into it this means that God has declared us righteous through Jesus Satan is the great accuser he wants to accuse us but we stand right in Jesus let's go to Zechariah who read Zechariah this week anyone by read go to Zechariah is that how you say it is it an E Zechariah yes Three, one through four. I love this picture. This is where we get so fresh and so clean, Randy. Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. I love that image. Have you ever felt like a burning stick that just barely got snatched out of the fire? And you get a little bit scorched, don't you, when you get snatched out of the fire. But do we walk in that truth? Do we, do we live in that thankful place like, God, thank you for snatching me out of the fire. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and now I am giving you these fine new clothes. That's just such a beautiful picture of justification. First of all, we've been snatched out of the fire, okay? Secondly, through Christ, 
he has given us brand new clothes. We are no longer clothed in sin. We're now clothed in righteousness. You guys with me? It's good stuff. Okay, so let's dig in a little bit more on this. Paul sets it up, which appeals to me as an attorney. He sets up the concept of justification in kind of a courtroom setting. Okay, so we're going to dig into this a little bit. As a result of God's declaration of justification over us, the way Paul describes it is the accusations are dismissed. No one can bring an accusation that will stand against the justification of Jesus. And we can have peace with God and joy through that. Now, the interesting part is Jesus plays a lot of different roles in this picture. Okay, obviously the accuser is Satan. But if we think about it in a courtroom setting, so the presiding judge over everything is God the Father. You know, he is a God of justice. The way Paul paints it is, the believer, us, we stand to be judged. We're like the defendant, okay? The prosecutor is obviously the evil one or the enemy. The prosecutor can't venture into anything because counsel for the defense is there. He is our great defender. So no matter what accusations get thrown at us when we are justified through Christ, those accusations are dismissed and gone. Amen? That should make us feel free. Nothing can come between us and the love of Jesus, not all the trials and afflictions or the accusations. He completely protects and insulates us from that. F.F. Bruce puts it like this. When God enters into judgment, the outlook for the opposing party is bleak. But if God takes the side of the defendant, no amount of evidence for the prosecution can procure an adverse verdict. So when we step into the justification through the death of Jesus, there is no accusation that can reverse that. There's freedom there, right? Freedom, joy. We have to walk in that truth. We are justified through him. Let's look at a couple scriptures that illustrate it. Romans 3, 24 says, Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Understanding the true meaning of justification through what Jesus has done brings peace to our hearts. When God declares us righteous, that never changes. Our walk with him may have peaks and valleys, but the concept of justification is secured by Jesus. That's where that security comes from. Amen? Jesus has already paid the penalty, and we're securing him. Number four, in terms of not being able to be separated from God's love, as Paul continues this discourse to convince us of that fact. Jesus intercedes for us. Let's define what interceding means, first of all. It's basically a go-between, right? Jesus intervenes, has intervened between parties to reconcile the differences between them. That's what he's done for us. So Christ intercedes for us. That keeps us secure in our salvation. The same Savior who died for us is now living for us forever on our behalf in heaven and pleading for us. That's a weird picture for me to put, but that, that is the scriptural picture that he paints. 
He is at God's side pleading for us even as we speak in now that he has risen from the dead. Hebrews 4 puts it like this. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That's empowering stuff. So through what Jesus has done and through the constant intercession he is still doing on our behalf, we can come to God timidly? No. Boldly. Say boldly. Boldly. We can come into the presence of God because Jesus is right there, our great defender, our great intercessor, pleading for us. He's also our advocate. He's pleading, defending, or promoting our cause to God the Father. Scripture illustrates this in other places too. Let's look at 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we haven't sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. We have an advocate. Aren't you thankful that we have an advocate? Just continuing the legal analogy, we are, have you guys ever heard the term pro se? It's a Latin term, and it means you have to represent yourself, okay? If you've ever been to court, hopefully you haven't. If you've ever been to court or observed court, the people that you feel sorry for are the ones that are in there defending themselves. They don't know how anything works. They're lost. They feel like they have no voice right? So the way I put it is, we're no longer pro se. We don't have to defend these accusations on our own. We're justified in him. Jesus represents us forever, and he paid the retainer. Jesus represents us forever as our advocate, and he paid the retainer. And guess what? It would have been a pretty big bill. <laughs> That's a high retainer fee to get that kind of representation. It's like Johnny Cochran times 100. Okay? We have a forever advocate to the Father on our behalf. That's exciting. I want to look at Luke 22 that illustrates this. Peter, Peter, I love Peter. He's my, I think he's my favorite disciple. He was just a wild man. You know, the cornerstone of the church, but also just made the biggest mistakes you can make in front of everyone at the biggest times, right? So he's all of us, right? Luke 22, 31 and 32 says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. These are obviously the words of Jesus. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. I want to point out a couple things about this. So obviously, Peter messed up a bunch. I don't think there's a person in this room that hasn't messed up, right? 
and needs Jesus to go to the Father to be our justification, to plead on our behalf. Well, first of all, he said Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. I don't know much about wheat, but that sounds terrible. I don't want to be sifted. Do you? It's probably something being separated from something else that's a very painful process and that I want no part of. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Now, did he say this? I've pleaded in prayer that you not be sifted. Well, he didn't say that. So the sifting's going to happen at some point. Anybody feel sifted? Can anybody know what sifted means? It sounds bad. It's going to happen. And Jesus didn't say, I'm praying for you not to be sifted. He said, I'm praying for you that your faith shouldn't fail. So when the sifting happens... It's our faith that sustains us. And Jesus, when we're getting sifted, he's at the right hand of God pleading that our faith not fail. Doesn't that make you feel supported? Like, I can get through it. Man, this sifting is awful, but my faith is going to stand. Finally, okay, here we are. The last point in Paul's argument. Jesus loves us. If you walk out of here remembering one thing today, Jesus loves us. That love is inseparable from us. Take that truth out of here with you today. Process, absorb it, walk in what it means. My favorite thing as I was studying this this week is it's just very, very clear. This love has nothing to do with what we do. (laughs) This is a one-way love. It's coming straight to us, and there's nothing we can do to stop it or separate it from us. It doesn't matter how much good we've done. It doesn't matter how much bad we've done. And Paul's going to flesh this out as we get into the verse. But it is such a comfort to know that no matter what I do, no matter how much I think I accomplish, no matter how many times I fail, nothing can separate me from that love. So if we take nothing else with us today, let's take that with us. Because that's where Paul ended it. Paul wrote this beautiful Romans 8 chapter, and this is where he ended it. This is his closing point. I want you to get this. Nothing can separate you from his love. Romans 5 says this. Romans 5, 3 through 5. This touches on a reality that we just have to deal with. Before we get to that point about his love, we can't skip over the hard reality that God doesn't shelter us from the difficulties of life. We're not promised that. He uses them, we need them for spiritual growth. That's a tough pill to swallow, right? The difficulties are coming, the sifting is coming, but we can be confident in this love that it's there no matter what. Romans 5, three through five says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. It's not fun to develop endurance. Is it? Who's been an endurance runner? Is it fun? It's not fun. It hurts. I've run a bunch of long races. You know, the, running just hurts everything, you know? I mean, it's just, it's voluntarily choosing pain. That's what running is. Now, it might get your heart better. You might shed a few pounds. You might, I mean, you feel good when you're done, maybe. But, it, I mean, it's painful. Building endurance is painful. And if somebody came up, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, you want to go build some endurance? I'd be like, oh, I'm good. Like, I'm going to go watch football, sit on the couch. And 
my endurance is fine. Endurance develops strength of character. Again, sounds good. It's a process, right? It's much, much easier to have weak character, isn't it? And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. So again, let's get back to that love. And we're going to get practical now. So just put the, go ahead and put the verse up there. I'm going to skip into my notes and just get into these practical things. So Paul talks about, just put the main passage up if you don't mind. So Paul talks about, he lists seven things in the latter part of this that could make us think or believe the lie that we can be separated from God's love. The first seven things are what I would call experiences, okay? Now, Paul experienced them all. (laughs) He did. Paul had a rough road. Paul got sifted a lot, okay? So let's skip over to that. So the seven things Paul talks about in verses 35 to 37, trouble, poverty or hardship, persecution, hunger, nakedness, danger, and fear of death, and the sword. Now, for those of any of us who have ever experienced any of those, and I'm sure there are a lot of us in this room that have, he states them in increasing intensity. First of all, so he starts with trouble, and he ends with fear of death. And Paul's got some credibility here, because again, he could say, oh, by the way, I've gone through all of this. So if you ever want to talk about it, you know, let's, let's have that conversation. And I still know, I am still convinced that nothing can separate me from God's love. John 16, says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We endure these kinds of experiences just like Paul did for his sake. Do you ever feel closer to Jesus than when it's really tough? I mean, if you're walking with him, if you're going through some of these seven experiences and you're really leaning on him and your faith, those are the close times, right? Because we don't really know what else to do. So I think that's how Paul's encouraging us here. Look, these experiences are coming. The sifting is coming. But I'm telling you, I'm convinced nothing can separate you from his love. You can lean on that love. Not only can you lean on it, if you look at 837, we are more than conquerors over it. The Greek word for that is, I know I'm going to butcher this, hypernikomen. The Greek means we are super conquerors. Say super conquerors. Okay, so if you're going through some of this stuff right now, it sounds cheesy, I know, but the Greek word is super conquerors. You can super conquer whatever you're going through super conquerors i love that concept let's talk about the other things the other 10 things he lists he ends at verse 35 with fear of death so the other 10 things i would describe as the extremes so the first things he lists are the things that he has experienced and then he's really driving the point home with the last 10 things these are basically the extremes of all creation So he is trying to illustrate by whatever means necessary how powerful and inseparable we are from the love of God. So let me know if any of these ring true to you. The 10 extremes, death and life. 
we have all experienced and struggled with death and life issues, angels and demons, fears of the present. Now we're hitting home a little bit. Anybody afraid of anything in their present? Have some fear or anxiety over your present? Worries of the future. Here we go. That sounds a little bit more real than calamity. I'm not even sure what calamity means. But I know what worrying about the future is. Anybody ever feel like worrying about the future can separate you from God's love? Nobody loves. I'm so worried. I'm so bound to this. How can anybody love me? How can God's love be here for me in this difficult time? The powers of hell. No height, no depth, nothing in all creation. That's where he finishes it. I can't think of a broader way to explain it than that. So he's really trying to get this point across here. Nothing that I've experienced or that you're going to experience. No extreme of all creation can separate you from the love of God. So as we start coming down this home stretch here, how do we get practical with this? And the phrase I like to say is, spot the lie. Spot the lie. If there's anyone in here, either now, everyone in here at some point will feel separated from the love of Christ. You either have, or you are right now, or you will. Because of some horrible experience you're going through, or because of some extreme, like Paul talked about. So how I think this scripture is encouraging us is by the Holy Spirit who's in us, that we talked about earlier in Romans 8, spot the lie. What lie are we believing or struggling with that we think is separating us from God's love? And ask God to bring healing and truth to that lie. Is somebody accusing you? Of, is the great accuser attacking you? Are you worried about the future? Are you apprehensive about the present? Are you in a life or death situation? Are you facing one? Like that family in Anderson County this week. That's tough. Sometimes life or death is at stake. And we don't know what to do. And all we can do is through the sifting process, be so thankful that Jesus is interceding for us to strengthen our faith and ask the Holy Spirit to help us spot the lie. And the root of the lie is always, God doesn't love you during this. How could this be happening? God doesn't love you. Spot the lie. So as we walk out of here today, let's walk out of here with a couple of those truths. Number one, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Number two, there's going to be sifting. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be those experiences that we have to get through. But we have an advocate who is pleading for us to stand on our faith as we get through it. And then finally, allow the Holy Spirit that's in us to help us spot the lie. Whatever we're struggling with that has us convinced that we can't be loved, that there's no love there, that, that the love of God doesn't apply to us or can't reach us in whatever experience or extreme we're struggling with, we have to spot that and put this truth all over it. There's freedom there. Do you guys see the freedom that can be there? I mean, this concept that we can't be loved can be crippling. It can really, it can impair our walk. It can keep us separated from God and his, it can keep us separated in our relationship with him. But nothing can stop that one-way love that's coming.
So as we wrap up Romans 8, again, I would just encourage you, since we've wrapped up the series, next week's Love Shelbyville, then we're jumping into a new series, as Blake talked about. Just go back to Romans 8 today and read it again. It is an amazing chapter that gives us an overview of how we are completely victorious through Jesus. We are free from judgment because he died for us and we have his righteousness. We are free from defeat because he lives in us by his spirit and we share his life. We're free from discouragement because he's coming back for us and we share his glory. And we are free from fear because he intercedes for us and we can't be separated from his love. If God is for us, who can be against us? I want to do this as we close. If you want to, let's put the main scripture back up. If you want to read this scripture to yourself, if you want to close your eyes and listen, but a pastor buddy of mine did this and I did this with myself. I'm going to read the scripture again one more time and just let the truth of it sink in. But instead of the collective pronouns in the scripture, I want you to read it and say me and I. I want you to make it really personal, okay? So either close your eyes and listen to me read and allow, just allow the truth of this to wash over you. Read it yourself up on the screen. Read it however you want to read it, but just let this sink in as we close and as the worship band comes up. What can I say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for me, who can ever be against me? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for me, won't he also give me everything else I need? Who dares accuse me whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given me right standing with himself. Who then will condemn me? No one. For Christ Jesus died for me and was raised to life for me. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for me. Can anything ever separate me from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves me if I have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is mine through Christ who loved me. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate me from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate me from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus my Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for who you are, that you are a great God, that nothing can stand against you. What can stand against you? Jesus, who can accuse us when you have justified us? No matter what experience or extreme we have gone through, no matter what mistake we have made, no matter what experience or extreme is coming, nothing can separate us from your love that is coming to us no matter what, no matter what we do, good or bad, we cannot be separated from your love. Thank you for that truth. Challenge and change us with it today. Help us to walk out of here knowing you as the God that is described in Romans chapter eight that we've been studying for weeks, knowing that nothing can separate us from your love, knowing that nothing can stand against us as you plead to the Father on our behalf. We thank you Jesus, for sacrificing yourself and for being our great Savior and our great advocate and our great intercessor. 
We just pray that we would absorb and walk in this truth today as we continue to walk with you together and to take you out to our community.